so glad somebody's excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. It is raining out. <clears throat> Most people must be obviously be stuck in traffic. They'll be getting here a little bit late. Uh, no, I don't think that's the case. We're glad that you guys decided to come and make this a priority tonight. Uh, I want to tell you a little story. Uh, about a month and a half ago, I fell at the movie theater and cracked my skull, resulting in a uh, basal or skull fracture, Francisco. That's back here. Uh, severe CSF leaks, cerebrospinal fluid. Most of you are aware of the story. Uh, my brain fluid was pouring out my right nostril uh, after two ER visits and a very long weekend. Uh, an epidural on my back, six days in the ICU. Dizziness, weakness, a couple weeks off of work. I uh, ended up back here recovering little by little. The Lord has been incredibly gracious to me and has healed my body much quicker than the doctors anticipated or that I anticipated. And even though I'm still getting headaches, I still have to take naps, I still am getting dizzy, uh, I have seen the mercy of God in such amazing ways in my life. It's been really cool. And I wanted to thank you guys for your patience with me over the last couple of months. I should really start by thanking my wife who has been the brunt of many, many difficult things. Keeping up with my slowness is a lot harder, I think, than keeping up with the fast-paced Sean. But uh, she's been amazing. And, and the staff here, you guys are awesome. I want to thank you for stepping up to lead the ministry in my absence. Uh, David for spearheading a lot of big picture stuff and just being on top of it. Uh, Francis, Francisco for stepping up to preach and uh, doing a great job. And Ryan for running Friday nights. And the rest of you guys for just your faithful service keeping this thing going. Uh, just as a, as a point of note, you know a ministry is in a great place when you lop the head off and the thing keeps going uh, and there's good things happening even without having the leader there. Um, that's a sign of health and the goal of any leader is to reproduce themselves so that someday when the leader just gets removed or moves somewhere else, the thing keeps going and that's part of the goal of this ministry is that there are men and women here who step up to lead and the ministry marches on because it's not about a person, it's about the work that Jesus Christ is doing through us. And so I'm just thankful to the Lord and have thanked him for the amazing leadership that we have here. And for those of you who are non-staff and are students here, um, it, we have an amazing group of people. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on in the college ministry, that being said. And I just want to highlight a few things that you're going to see roll out. Usually this is stuff that would roll out a little earlier, but it's coming soon. So here's just a quick snapshot. we got winter camp coming. John Plesnick's coming to preach. What have we told everybody since I've been paying attention to announcements? San Diego, San Diego beach house. That's it. One single beach house for all of us on the water. It's going to be amazing. Sleep place. It's a four-story house that has 12 bedrooms, sleeps 40 people. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work, but um, it's going to be great. So that's April 21st to 23rd market calendar. We're working on price. We'll have that to you next week. We've got a new format for Radix coming, which is going to be awesome, and we're excited about it. We've got teacher training coming for gentlemen for you. If you think, I, I should be teacher, I want to learn how to teach, um, then that's coming for you shortly. Something we're calling the Iron Man Club for some of the younger guys is rapidly approaching. We have some outreach opportunities that will involve Ultimate Frisbee. I will try not to rip your shorts. <laughs> but if I have to, I will. Because at the end of the day, winning is more important. And I'll take those things with me if I got to. But uh, I did that to Austin, unfortunately, over the summer. 
but we're gonna have we're gonna have some outreach events between now and the end of the semester that in, uh, revolve largely around you bringing your friends and getting people that don't know Christ in. We're gonna have some fun things, game nights, ultimate frisbee, and some other things like that. So you can keep your eye out for that. We'll be announcing that next week or two. Uh, how about this? We're launching a library. I like a college ministry library, a place where you can come and read our favorite books. We can check them out. We might even give them to you sometimes, but it's going to be in the garage. We've been working on it. AJ's putting it all together, and that's coming. Stay tuned. Uh, we're collecting books as we speak, but we're going to have a really cool opportunity and tool that you can use to grow in your faith. And I'm hoping for some World War II books in there, by the way. I just cleaned out a lot of books that are available. Okay, we'll take them. But that'll be the smaller section because most of them are going to be kind of Christian-centered books. But anyway, a lot of good stuff coming up. I am uh, I'm thankful to be able to stand in front of you this evening. Um, there was a point where the doctor said, you're lucky that you're not paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, you're lucky you're alive. That was the first one. You're lucky that you can see. Uh, and you're lucky that you have your entire brain function. Those are lucky. Those are the things that were kind of outstanding. One of the biggest questions I had while I was lying in bed in the hospital for six days, unable to sit up or get up, was, I know this is going to sound crazy, this is one of the questions, will I ever be able to preach again? And when you have spent time loving Christ, walking with Him, and understand at least part of His gifting, the way He's built you, and to stare at that and think, the Lord may be taking that away. Something that I enjoy more than just about anything else in life. Uh, that's a difficult question to ask. And uh, I sat there and asked the Lord that. And crazy enough, less than two months later, here I am. And here you are. Uh, both of us by the grace of God. And uh, God has restored me to this point. I'm excited. I'm going to try to keep the message down tonight in terms of length. Because I'm not sure how long I'll last. But as of just a footnote in terms of my recovery... We went to Whistler, which is in Canada, and skied over the weekend, part of a work trip. And I skied for two days with Tracy pretty aggressively and did pretty well. Uh, so I feel better. I'm not better, but I feel better. So in case you're wondering, you can please keep praying because I'm not 100%, but I'm definitely um, getting there. So I've been waiting a long time to say this. Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. <laughs> yep. We had no intention of taking such a long break from Titus, more than two months, but uh, we're back in the book of Titus. We finished chapter one towards the end of last semester, and uh, we've had a little bit of a hiatus here. Where are you going? We're opening the Bible. To get a Bible. Okay, good. <laughs> Open to Titus chapter two, and uh, we're not going to get too far into the text tonight, unfortunately. As I studied, I realized I need to just kind of give an overview of where we've been, where we're going, and... Uh, so let me just summarize a few things here, and then we're going to dive into some observations about this text. Uh, you remember that Titus was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, right? You're all familiar with what the New Testament's a bunch of letters written to specific individuals or to churches. Paul, the Apostle, wrote this one to Titus, an individual. He was a young man on the island of Crete. Now, Titus was a follower of Jesus Christ, and according to chapter 1, verse 4, Paul saw him as a true son in the faith. That's pretty cool. So he, he's a, a, a soldier with Paul, a fellow missionary with Paul. And as you remember, Paul was going from city to city, land to land, bringing the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ out to people that had never heard it before. And there on the island of Crete, 
people were turning from their old lives to follow Jesus Christ. As he was preaching a message of forgiveness of sin, a message of hope, a message of eternal life, a message of the Savior, Jesus Christ, people were being transformed and churches were being established. Amazing what was happening in those early days of the church. And so what Paul would do is he'd move into a place, he'd preach, God would save people, he would establish a church, and then in a lot of cases, Paul would leave people behind to pastor and shepherd those, those churches while Paul would continue on with his missionary journey. So that's Crete, small island, smack dab in the middle of the Mediterranean. Paul leaves his son of faith, Titus. The very big responsibility. If you look at chapter 1, verse 5, it, it says that Paul gave Titus a commission to do two big things. You see it right there? He said this, Titus, I want you to, number one, set in order what remains, and number two, appoint elders in every city. Now, Crete was called the island of a hundred cities, and there was more than likely churches, maybe not in all hundred cities, but many churches scattered throughout that island. And so Titus had a formidable job, right? He needed to go into every one of those churches and establish a biblical, godly leadership if the church was to have any hope of being able to honor God and help the people to be more like Jesus Christ. Right? Big deal. And so you go to chapter 1, and Paul gives very specific instructions for what those leaders are to look like in the church. We call them elders. The older men, the godlier men, who are going to be those who shepherd like fathers the church. Okay? And so verses 5 through 9 talk about that. You go on from there, and he gave very clear warning in the last part of chapter 1 on the type of men that should be kept out of leadership. Whether they're old men or young men, these are men to be not just kept out of leadership, but avoided altogether because they are using the church to advance their own personal interests. In Canada, we went through like, I don't know how many channels that were religious channels. And I settled on Joel Osteen for a while. And uh, I thought, here's a guy that's worth over $40 million who is using the church of Jesus Christ and the people there for his own, what the text would say, sordid gain, his own financial benefit. Not to bring and proclaim the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But, but anyway, these men were there, and Paul is saying to Titus, you've got to get them out of the church, and you've got to put men in who will lead according to the character qualities of Titus 1. And so that brings us to the end of chapter 1 and to the beginning of chapter 2, where we find ourselves tonight. And Paul is transitioning from the leadership of the church into the membership of the church, okay? It's not so much, chapter 2 is not so much concerned with the man standing in the pulpit, so much as it is with the people sitting in the pews, okay? That's the transition that's happening. Paul's going to give very specific instruction to the lives of individual people who are part of the church, people like you and people like me. How are we to live? How as a young man are you to live? And how as a young woman are you to live in a way that would honor Jesus Christ? And it's really interesting because no one escapes chapter 2. Whether you're an old man or an old woman, I think I'm the only old person here. My beard, I found out, does not have blonde hair in the front. This is gray, unfortunately. Uh, whether you're a young man or you're a young woman, there are specific instructions for you that you cannot get past that you don't want to get past because these are helpful things if you seek to honor Christ in your life. Chapter 2 kind of summarizes a lot of those. And just really quickly, if you fast forward to chapter 3, Paul transitions from life in the church to life in the world. So chapter 1 is leadership. Chapter 2 is the church body. Chapter 3 is how do Christians 
respond and relate to those out there in the world who are unbelievers. Uh, whether that's the people in authority over us, according to 3.1, our government, the rulers, or just to anybody else you come in contact with, how are you supposed to respond and live in light of your faith? So what we find is that Titus is a super practical letter. Yes, it's written to a pastor named Titus, and a lot of the instructions are specific in his leadership, but he helps all of us as Christians to, to try to be closer to Christ, to have character qualities that will help us in the Christian life. Now, tonight as we start chapter 2, I want to give you just kind of the theme of what we're going to carry through the rest of the semester. I have no idea how long it's going to take us. I've mapped this thing out. It was 12 messages. I'm trying to cut it down, but I just don't know where to cut, so we might be in this thing until after the fireworks go off in July. But the theme for the entire chapter is simply this. You ready? Three words. You're going to hear it every week. Grace changes everything. Okay? Grace changes everything. And the simple principle is this. When Jesus Christ invades someone's heart and comes into someone's life, everything changes. If you're a true born-again Christian, you know what I'm talking about. Because all that was in you and all that is still in you are two completely different things. The past, the future, who you were, who you are, all those things shift. Your priorities alter. Your future dreams are different. Friendships are reevaluated. Every part of life changes when you've been exposed to the grace of God. I just say it this way. Life looks different for those who've experienced grace. Now we talk a lot about grace, don't we? We sing songs about it. It's a very favored word. And we're going to hear more about it in the coming weeks. But just for a short definition for tonight, listen to this. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. You can write that down. That's a good definition. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. What does that mean? It means that God bestows upon us something that we do not deserve. He gives something to us completely opposite of what we have earned. Our sin, our natural lives have put us on a pathway and a collision course with death and destruction apart from God. God's grace is what comes down, grabs us there, completely undeserved, unworthy, and transfers us, moving us over into his kingdom, forgiving us of our sin, loving us, and giving us hope and a future. You can say it this way, through his grace, God forgives the sinner and draws the unworthy to himself in total and complete restoration. Grace cannot be earned. It cannot be bought. It is given as a gift. That's why Ephesians 2.8 says that for by grace you have been saved, right? Not of yourselves. This is the free gift of God. Or if you look down at verse 11, look in Titus 2 from where I'm getting all of this from, in case you're wondering where is this coming from. Look at Titus 2.11. And I would say this is the verse that drives the entire chapter. Verse 11, for or because or in light, the grace of God for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. Now we're going to get to this verse in the coming weeks, okay? But what I want you to understand is that all that happens in your life as a Christian is a result of the grace that has been revealed to you through Jesus Christ. For tonight, I just want you to say this. Grace changes everything, okay? Now if you were to look at the text, I would tell you this. Verse 1, grace keeps us focused on what matters most. That is sound doctrine. Verse 2, grace 
is what fashions older men into rock-solid examples. Verses 3 and 4, grace is what makes older women models to be imitated. Verses 4 and 5, grace brings freedom, purpose, and fulfillment to young women as they seek to live out their role. Verses 6 through 8, grace transforms young men to live above reproach and beyond accusation. Verses 9 and 10, grace produces rock star, awesome employees. Verses 11 through 14, grace aligns our heart with God's. And grace 15, grace speaks with full authority. So we're not going to hit all those just like that. But that's just a summary of kind of what this chapter is about. And as we get into the text, I don't have time to actually get into this entire text tonight. Just kind of seeing verse 1 and making some general observations about the entire chapter. Is that fair enough? We've got four observations. They're all grace-related, I think. You can call me out if you don't buy this. But, but I think you'll see this as we go. Uh, and and I'll, at the end, I'll summarize and tell you where we're going in the coming weeks. So first observation in this text is uh, grace makes you different. Point number one, grace makes you different. Look at the first phrase of the first verse. Paul begins and says, but as for you, but as for you. Now, as we already said, there's a different expectation in Titus to bring a different type of leadership into the church. Titus was called to be different. And I just want you to know, Christian, you too have been called to be different. There's a different expectation on you. True born-again Christians, plain and simple, are different than their counterparts in the world. Let me say it differently. Christians are different in what they say, they're different in what they do, and they're different in what drives them and how they think. First John tells us the main drivers in the life of the non-Christian are this. Ready? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life, where we summarize by saying, girls, gold, and glory. Those are the things that drive your counterparts out in the world. But that's not so with a Christian. Those who are in Christ, who have experienced the grace of God, are different. They are changed from the inside out. They seek a different set of objectives. They follow a different set of rules. They serve a different master than their own appetites. So if you turn to 1 Peter 2, verse 9, will you guys flip over there so I can show you this in the text? Look at 1 Peter 2, 9. This is, listen to how Peter describes Christians. Okay? There's another but here. But you, in comparison to the non-Christian world, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Wow, that's a cool description. Uh, let me say, they're different, okay? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. That's the negative. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. That's the positive. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. What's the point? The point is very simply this. In Christ, you are different. You have been set apart as a people, as, an, as a, a, a priest that actually is there to serve and to worship God. And so when you go back to Titus 2, verse 1, the opening 
phrase, there's a comparison there. You have these false teachers, these men who are in it for themselves, and then you have Titus. They were doing this, but Titus, as for you, you're going this way. They were in their own desires, sordid gain. They were upsetting families. They were teaching things they shouldn't teach. They were doing all of it for their own desires, but not you, Titus. They're here, you're here. Christians are different. That's the point. These men were disqualified from even being in the church. And, and you got to say this, these men were held captive by their sins. They're in religion for the wrong reasons. They were enemies of God. But no, you're different, Christian. You've been set free by the grace of God. You understand that salvation comes not by your own works, not by what you've earned, not by who your family is, not because you come to Faith Bible Church, but by the free and unmerited grace of God. Your heart has been transformed. You're different. Again, in 1 Peter 1, verse 18... He says that you were not redeemed with perishable things. Your salvation didn't come, he says, things like silver or gold. But he says, your salvation came with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And I can say it again, grace changes everything. When you recognize that there was nothing you could do, but the blood of Christ shed for you, gave you salvation, it changes you from the inside out. Hmm. Verse 11, look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Okay, now listen. You may be a church attender. You may be a Bible reader. You may consider yourself to be a spiritual person. But until you've admitted that you can't do anything on your own that pleases God and that you need a savior, you have not experienced the grace of God. There is no but as for you, because you're still over here in your sin. It's only when the grace of God comes and takes you and moves you over into the kingdom of God. I, I don't want to overemphasize the word grace, but grace is the gift of God where he comes and says, you're unworthy, you're unworthy, you're unworthy, and I'm going to come because of this character quality of love and forgiveness, and I'm going to remove your sin. I'm going to pay for that at Calvary on the cross, and I'm going to give you all the promises in Christ. I'm going to stop there. But grace makes you different. Okay, number two. I'm going to just keep moving. Sorry, that's just slow. I know it's a small little phrase, but I really, I couldn't get past that one. Number two, grace keeps you focused. So not only does grace make you different, which is clear, uh, but grace keeps you focused. Look back at 2.1. He says, but as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. <clears throat> now, there are many things in your life that compete for your attention, aren't there? I mean, I just caught up on my emails from when I went down. I had like 1,200 or 1,500 emails I had to get to. Some of them were just repeated emails like, Sean, question mark, Sean, question mark, like multiple emails because I just never answered them, right? But you just, you just things that just compete for your attention. You turn on a television and there's like a thousand channels to look, to watch, right? Netflix has about a gazillion things you could, you could find yourself doing. There are just things that you can do that are always competing for what's important in your life. Many of you are weary. Some of you are distracted tonight. Some of you are even distant, maybe possibly discouraged. It's raining out, you haven't gotten your vitamin D, and you're just <laughs> struggling. 
And look, in lieu of vitamin D, you can fire up the essential oils, and that probably won't do anything, but it might make you feel better. Well, that's a separate note. Now, many times we allow the trials and the busyness of life to pull our focus from what matters most. I don't know if this is you, but sometimes you feel like you're the proverbial hamster running on that wheel, right? You're just, just going, barely treading water. And the words of one of my favorite songs that you're, you're just running to stand still. But here, Paul snaps Titus back to attention. In the strongest possible verbiage, he issues an imperative in the Greek. It is a full-fledged command, apostolic command to Titus. And look back at the text. Titus, as for you, you need to speak. You need to not just open your mouth and talk. Uh, That verb speak is to teach or to openly proclaim. You need to speak what? The things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Why? Because the people of God need help. The people of God need instruction. They need to be reminded of the priorities of life. They need to understand the truth of God. They need to be released from the humdrum of daily monotony to experience the life that God has for all of us. His plan in our life. And so Paul says, Titus, open your mouth and speak. Now look, uh, I was trying to think of ways that when we need to get the word out for something, like somebody's pregnant, right? You got, anybody? All right, just because we can announce it right here. Okay, you got to get the word out. So where do you go? Where's the first place you go? Facebook? Really? No, we don't want to say the person. Okay, nobody says it in first and first. Except for a few people. Where do you typically go? Instagram. Oh, come on, it's Instagram. That's like the first place. Oh, look, somebody's, honey, somebody's pregnant. <laughs> That's what it is. What's next? I would agree with Michelle. There's a few people you tell in person. A you phone call. Tell your husband first. That's, That's a good. good. Place to start. I always go, who, do you know who the father is? Do you know who the mother is? Never mind. That's not even funny. Okay. <laughs> um, phone calls. Emails. You guys don't email. Maybe you might even talk to somebody face-to-face. Maybe. If that, you get to that point. Everybody has questions. Hey, the baby's coming. It's the first question. When is it due? What's the next question? Is it a boy or a girl? What's the question after that? Were you planning on this? <laughs> somebody might even ask you, what? how did this happen? Right? You just, it's, it's your job to teach them and to openly speak about what's going on in life. Okay? That's a stupid illustration. (laughs) Titus has been given instruction to open his mouth and speak openly. Okay? But he's not called to talk about something stupid like I just did. Paul tells him, speak or teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Okay, well, what's fitting for sound doctrine? Or what is sound doctrine? What if, if it's so important, these bad teachers over here, okay, don't be like them, be like this. What's so important that Paul's making this great contrast? Well, I would just summarize it this way. Sound doctrine is the teaching of the apostles. That doesn't really help us either, right? But Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down. People are speaking in tongues. The text in chapter 2 says that Peter takes his stand with the eleven. And he preaches. And 3,000 people are saved that day. At the end of that section, 242, it says this. They were, this was talking about all the Christians now. They were continually devoting themselves, here it is, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread. Uh-huh, we like to eat. There's gluten in the scriptures and, and to prayer. Okay, not much has changed today. We are committed today to the apostles' teaching. Nothing is different. There is no new message. There are no words from God coming down. He has given us his word in a completed, sealed book. God has spoken. Men wrote it down. It's been preserved by the Spirit of God, and we have his word, many of you in your laps right now. The same teaching that was given by Christ, that was passed on to his men, transcribed into the New Testament, and passed on from generation to generation, sailing down to you and I on a, on a river of blood. That is the true and sure word of God. And we could say it this way, sound doctrine is the true teaching of Christianity. Okay, is that basic enough? It's the core elemental truths of our faith. Now the word for sound in the Greek is the word hygiene, which is what I say every morning, hygiene. No, okay, you guys don't get that. That's what Mueller says every time this word comes up in the Greek. Okay, never mind. Now the content, the content for sound doctrine, uh, it's not really given by Paul. If you look at chapter two, there's not a lot of sound doctrine there and what you would expect Hey, teach sound doctrine. You'd expect the full formal doctrinal statement. Have you been on FBC's website lately? You kill many trees to read that. Have you read it yet for your membership? You've got to read like 40-something pages of really dense theological truth. That's what doctrine is. It's the teaching kind of brought down to very succinct points, okay? Uh, but you don't have that in chapter 2. Notice how he doesn't say just teach sound doctrine. He says teach what's fitting for sound doctrine. I don't want to get too far into this. But what Paul does instead of, instead of laying out the principles is he lays out the characteristics. Or if I said it a different way, he, he would say this. Go look at that guy. There's sound doctrine in that older man. There's sound doctrine in that older woman. You can see the truth of the scripture lived out in their life. It's why being with Christ was so amazing because you're looking at perfection, the perfectly lived out word of God, if you could say it that way. No sin, perfect humility, perfect love, perfect forgiveness, perfect patience demonstrated in Christ. And when you see somebody older and older and mature in the faith, guess what you're seeing? Somebody more like Christ. And he's saying, go look there. Now there's doctrine in this text, don't get me wrong. But Paul's saying, look at the lives of these people and he's giving these characteristics to help. We could say it this way. Doctrine drives your behavior. Doctrine drives your behavior. Or, or said a different way, right living is a result of solid teaching. If you go to a church that's birdbath deep doctrinally, in terms of how, what they teach and how deep they go into God's word, how deep is the faith and the Christianity of the membership there? It's birdbath deep. Okay? You want to put yourself into a church that understands the gravity and the importance of the word of God. Because the deeper you go into the unfathomable depths of God's word, the more you will come face to face with God himself. And the more you'll see your own sin. And therefore be changed to be more like Jesus Christ. And so that's what we say. The observation is that sound doctrine matters. Okay? Grace keeps you focused on what matters most, which is the essential truths. But for you guys, I would say this. What you read, what you listen to, who you podcast, 
what you believe is of the utmost importance. Because watch this. Your doctrine or the things that you believe, listen, those things will define you. They will define your life. Your belief system will flush its way out into who you are. A high view of scripture leads to a high doctrinal belief, which leads to a high view of God, which leads to a high view of the importance of holy living, which leads to a radically transformed life that honors Christ. And the opposite is obviously true as well. Now, we don't have a lot of time to spend here. I want to move on. But uh, I want to ask you this question. Is doctrine important to you? Maybe you thought that's for guys who teach. It's pastors and elders. I don't know, doctrine, whatever. I'm just going to have my quiet time with cross-centered life. Okay, that's hugely important. But doctrine matters. And opening your Bible and reading and understanding the scripture is everybody's responsibility. God gave it to you. The people in the 1500s walked into church and the pastor, the, the priest opened the Bible and read it in Latin. Do you remember? I do. Yeah. Ryan couldn't get it up on the, on the right, what was it? YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. It was a huge distraction while Daniel was preaching. Not like this is a distraction right now. No, but back then they would preach in, in Latin and a regular person had no idea what they were even saying. They couldn't read. They couldn't hear it in church. They were lost. You have God's word in your, in your lap. You can read it. It's a high responsibility. Okay, like I said, I don't want to spend a lot of time here. Are you getting bored with long sermons like this one? I hope not. Doctrine's important. Are you looking for feel-good messages that lift you up and make you feel better about yourself at the cost of never telling you that you're a sinner and that you, stand, that you need the continued grace of God on a daily basis in your life? Are you into doctrine for the sake of knowledge so that you can win arguments, so that you can puff your chests with all of your knowledge and look intelligent? 1 Corinthians 8.1 reminds us that knowledge by itself makes somebody arrogant. And the point of sound doctrine is not to make you arrogant, but to produce a life that honors Jesus Christ. Right? Now, don't estimate the importance of knowing and understanding the word of God. Ephesians 4 talks about that if you don't have a firm grasp on the truth of the Bible, it's, it says that you are like a, a child who's tossed here and there by the wind and the waves, by the trickery of men, but instead were to grow up in all aspects and to love even into him who is the head Christ. You didn't turn there. I'm sorry, I should have had you turn there. But you need to read your Bibles. You need to study your Bibles. You need to know them and ultimately apply it to your life. Grace helps you and grace keeps you focused. Oh, what's important. Okay, number three. Uh, grace never goes out of style. Grace never goes out of style. I'm coming out of the text just a little bit here, but you'll see this in a second. Uh, there's a lot of things that go out of style, aren't there? Guys that wear really short shorts. Okay, when I was in high school, and even before that, there was a company called Ocean Pacific OP that had these corduroy shorts that came down to like here. Okay, I'm like from here to here. They were so short for guys. They're gone. Uh, mullets are out of style, mostly. Hashtags, they came and went, right? Uh, skinny jeans, listen. Some people tell me, but they're in style, and I would say, and that doesn't make it right. <laughs> Man buns are, should be, I'm not sure if they are. Scraggly facial hair, bling, boy bands. These are things that are, I think, out of style. How about things that will never go out of style? I don't, what's that? 
I don't think the, uh... <laughs> these are puppies? <laughs> Arthur, when did you get here? <laughs> I don't think the Beatles will ever go out of style. You may not like the Beatles, but that is a classic rock and roll band that makes amazing music. Red lipstick is never going to go out of style. Converse shoes? They're, like, when I was a kid, they were in style. They're still going. They're crappy shoes. <laughs> but they're still in style. I don't think Harry Potter's ever going out of style. That thing is here to stay. Blue jeans. How many of you were in blue jeans? Th that's been around since they invented pants, and they're not going anywhere. A warm fire on a rainy night. What are you all doing here? We could be sitting by one right now. <laughs> warm chocolate chip cookies are out of the oven. A medium rare filet mignon, double double with grilled onions, McDonald's French fries. But I digress. We will come back to that. But let me just say this Grace never goes out of style. Let me, let me bring it back into this text. Grace is needed no matter what gender you are and no matter what age you are. It is needed if you're a brand new Christian or a battle weary veteran in the army of God. It is needed the last day of your life as you lay on that bed as an old person. Grace is for everyone. And if you will continue to grow to be more like Christ, then grace is necessary for you. You don't come to God begging, ple pleading, saying, please be gracious and merciful to me as a sinner who needs salvation and then walk a different life as a Christian. The grace that brought you into the faith is the grace that's important and necessary to maintain your faith all the days here on this earth. Now, from verses 2 to 10 in Titus chapter 2, there are four different groups of people. And really, we could say five if you included the employees in verses 10 and 11. But for now, let's just talk about those four groups of people. Verse 2 addresses the older men. Verse 3 addresses the older women. Verses 4 and 5 addresses the young women. Verses 6 through 8 addresses the young men. People in all walks of life and in all stages of their Christian life. And I would just say it this way, no matter what stage you are at in the Christian life, in order to grow to become more like Christ, watch this, you need grace. You need grace. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the coming weeks looking at men and women. Ladies, we're going to uncover how you can grow in godliness. You cannot do it apart from the grace of God. Guys, we will examine the character of the ideal man, not just to paint a picture for whom the ladies should pursue, but also to help each one of you to examine your lives. And if you would be a man who steps up and follows Jesus Christ and is, 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 is a man that loves Christ, then you need the grace of God. Part of the power of this passage that we won't get into tonight deals with a topic called discipleship, a topic of men with men and women with women. It's a topic of intentional, this is my new definition, I wrote this today. The intentional merging of older and younger believers for the purpose of growth. The intentional merging of older and younger believers for the purpose of growth. Thank you, Maddie. Okay. She's, I don't know what she's writing, but I'm hoping it's my definition. The intentional merging, M-E-R, I'm just kidding. Okay. Now we're going to spend a lot of time discussing what discipleship is and whose responsibility it is. Because we typically say, hey, younger people, you need to pursue the older, right? That's usually the call. 
You need to find somebody in your life. Like you're, you're Timothy, you need to find a Paul in your life. Okay? My challenge to each one of you, staff and students alike, is this. I want you to read these verses, these verses. And I want you to tell me who is responsible for pursuing discipleship. Okay? I want you to look at this text with fresh eyes and tell me whose obligation and whose responsibility is it to seek discipleship. And I'm talking about, I'm talking older, younger discipleship. Okay? Is it the older? Or is it the younger? Is it both? You look at the text and then come talk to me in the kitchen while I'm having cinnamon toast crunch. We'll talk about it. Now, we're moving on. Sake of time. Men and women need the grace of God to overcome sin. You need the grace of God to understand his purpose for your life. And you'll never outgrow this need. The grace of Jesus Christ is always available, whether today is the first day of your salvation as a young believer or the last day of your life as an elderly saint. Grace is there. And, I, and I, we'll get into this, but old people are not ineffective. Old people are not wasted. Old people are not, ah, they're just old. No, 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 no. The grace of God keeps them relevant in your life. And in the same way as new believers and younger Christians, the grace of God is what is there to drive you and help you to become a more distinct and mature Christian. So I'll just say it this way. Grace doesn't go out of style. And we'll get there more and more. Okay, point number four to end this. Grace demands your obedience. Grace demands your obedience. And I know that's kind of like, that's probably not the best way to say it. Maybe you'd say that, that the result of grace or understanding grace produces obedience because it's not an obligation to obey when you've experienced the grace of God in your life. It is a, a full heart that responds with obedience. Look at verse 11 through 14 and you'll see that. But look down at verse 15 because Paul is going to put a book in on this chapter at 15. And I'm just going to handle this now. We'll probably come back to it again at the end. But look at 15. Remember verse 1? But as for you, speak these things. Look at 15. These things, same things, speak and exhort, and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. All right, there's four commands in the short verse. First, you see the word speak there. It's the same word used in verse one. You're to speak as a command. You're to teach. You're to openly proclaim. The next word is the word exhort. That means to encourage or to implore, or to beseech others. It's a positive. It's like, come along, put your arm along. Hey, let me help you to become more like Christ. The next word is reprove which means to expose, to bring to light, or to correct. This is like, the, if you were talking about the bad cop, good cop, this would be the bad cop. Okay, reprove is the bad cop, exhort is the good cop. Uh, it, these, are, these two words, exhort and prove, are, are two sides of the same coin. One is positive, the other is negative. So what he's saying is, Titus, you speak the truth. And sometimes you're going to encourage people, hey, you're doing great, keep going, let me help you with this. And sometimes you're going to whack them in the head and reprove them. Hey, you messed up here, but let me show you the way back. All right? That's your responsibility. Look at the next phrase. You, need, you do this with all authority. Whoa, all authority. Complete apostolic authority. Titus, don't worry. Don't tiptoe. Don't be cautious. You step forward with full authority. Teach the truth and help believers in light of that truth. You got it? He's got Full, unlimited authority to go, provided he stays within the realm and, the, and the, the bookends that Paul has given to him. And then look, in case that's not enough, look at the last phrase, the fourth commandment thrown in there. By the way, let no one disregard you. Command number four. Let no one say no to you. 
Let no one refuse you. Okay, let no one reject you or put you off to the side and trivialize your message. The call there is for complete obedience to sound doctrine. Okay, you and I live within two lines. What God has allowed, what God has given us as rules, regulations, commandments, or, or said a different way, <coughs> inside the grace of God, he says this is the best life. It's not to live in your fleshly desires for the sinful things of this world. Your best life now, back to my buddy Joel, is right here in the middle when you follow the, the, the command and the instruction of God because he made you and he knows what will satisfy, fulfill, and make you happy. He understands how you're built because he built you and he's put you on that pathway. And the pathway to happiness and the pathway to joy and the pathway to fulfillment is in obedience. This is not God made you this way so that, look, you could be so happy. This is God put these restrictions in your life. We call them commands. And if you follow them, you will be a blessed person. Go read Psalm 1. You follow his commands, it will be the happiest, best type of life for you. And he's saying to to, to Titus, hey, speak it, exhort it, reprove it. Let no one disregard you. It's that important that this calls for obedience. Grace desires for you to live inside those lines. There will be a difference. And the words of verse 14, you will be, look at that, verse 14. You will be a people of God, zealous for good deeds. Your desire from a passionate heart will be to follow Christ because of his grace in your life. Or I say it a different way, grace demands obedience. A humble heart that recognizes all that Christ has done and comes ready to change. All right. Um, we got a big road ahead of us. I've been studying this text for two months, uh, and I just feel like I've cracked the surface on a lot of it. And I just wanted to kind of get us into this and tell you, now let me tell you where we're going the next couple weeks. Next week, we're going to look at older men and older women, okay? Uh, the two questions that we're going to answer are, what type of old person do I want to be? Like, I keep driving and running down the street on Washington, and they just put an old folks home right there. And by the way, old people terrify me. But someday, when my daughter Zoe puts me into that place down the street, okay, and I'm there, what type of person am I going to be? And we always talk about this. I'm, Trace and I are working on being humble and gracious and kind so that when my brain is completely gone, I revert back to just what's in my heart. I'm really hoping that it's going to be just a soft-hearted, kind man. But I know deep down inside I'm full of sin and I'm just scared of those poor nurses that take care of me um, because I think it's going to be really bad. But what type of old person do you want to be? Question number one. Question number two. What type of person should you seek for discipleship to be your mentor in life? Or we'll talk about that, mentors. We're going to spend the next two weeks after that looking at young women. We'll call this the ultimate woman. That's one of my favorite titles for this. We're going to look at uh, and key in on the characteristics of this particular text in the first week. And the second week, we'll look at other biblical passages that talk about godly women. And friends, ladies, this text in Titus is unbelievable. I can't get past the women's section. It is so good and so different from what you're expecting that you cannot miss it. You have to be here for that. Okay, two weeks after that, the hammer will fall on the guys. Two weeks of looking at the ultimate man. I'm worried for you guys because this is strong stuff. One week we'll look at Titus 2, 6 through 8. 
and the second week we'll look at characteristics of godly men outside of these verses. It'll be a great time. And we'll say it this way. Ladies, you want to come when, when we're talking about guys because this is not only the man to be gentlemen, but ladies, this is the man to pursue. And the same is true. This is not just the lady to be, but the woman to pursue. So we'll, we'll handle all that as we get there. When we hit verses 9 and 10, we're going to spend two weeks looking at the topic of work. Read that passage. Read those verses. It's pretty convicting. And those words are going to come off the page as we get into that. And uh, I've already read two books. I'm in the middle of a third book on the topic of work that have been in, in preparation for this time. Really, really good in terms of being an employee that honors God. Come to have your world rocked on what it means to be an employee. If you think about this, if God built you to work 40 plus hours a week for 30 to 40 years of your life, it's more than just about making a paycheck. There's a whole lot more tied up in the topic of what we do at work, etc. That's going to be huge. Final two weeks will be a look at verses 11 through 14. Such a cool passage. I can't wait to preach it. Just read it over and over again. It's, it's the gospel. It's the story of Christ and what he's done in our life and what that produces in us. I call it the gospel in real life. Okay? That's uh, the next, I don't know, 25 weeks or so. So, before I pray, grace makes you different. Grace keeps you focused. Grace never goes out of style and grace demands your obedience. And I would just say the summary is this. Grace changes everything. All right.